Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Well, good morning. Uh, great to be with you. Uh, last week, we began a series called Ancient Paths, uh, basically about uh, age-old wisdom, uh, providing direction for spiritual living in any context and in any culture. Jeremiah 6, 16 was sort of our key verse, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. This is sort of a mini-series on wisdom literature. Uh, three books in particular, Proverbs we'll deal with today, Job next week, and then Ecclesiastes uh, to conclude the series. These three books in particular help to shape the journey, map out the path, if you will. Now, we said last week about wisdom literature, it forces us to think hard and humbly. There's a lot of life for which there are no rules. And so your character, to a large degree, is made up of how you do life in situations where there are no rules. Uh, Doing the right thing when no rules apply. So in wisdom literature, there's a cooler tone. Because it appeals to reason rather than barking commands. It's not a drill sergeant so much as a life coach. It'll come up alongside of you, and it'll say things to you like this. Have you considered this? What about that? Where will this get you in all of the situations of life? So life is complex. It's not always black and white. And that approach is just inadequate. Ecclesiastes 1.5. Well, we'll be looking there soon. This is what he says about life. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. So as you approach life, you've got to realize the fact that there are twists that you will encounter. There will be no rule for you. You can't straighten it out with a rule. cannot be remedied. In other words, there's gaps in all of our thinking. You can't reduce life's anomalies to some neat and tidy system all the time. There are gaps. There are twists. What's lacking can't be counted. Um, There are holes in reality that you can't fill in. So none of us are really smart enough to manage all this reality. Uh, And a high IQ is not the answer. Now, this is why I have such grave concern for at least four fellows. Not my sons, although I do have concerns. These four guys who are brilliant Unlocking the secrets of life in the universe 
but are really, really bad at everyday living. We have a little clip for you, I think. Watch I don't need to get frustrated. People learn at different rates. Unlike objects falling in a vacuum, which... <laughs> M-A equals M-G... Squared? No. Aristotle? No. Five? Oh. Why are you crying? Because I'm stupid! Well, that's no reason to cry. I mean, one cries because one is sad. For example, I cry because others are stupid and it makes me sad. So then the question becomes, if it's not just intelligence, you know, how, how then does, does one operate in this whole wisdom reality. How does one get it? How does one live it? Uh, how does it work in people's lives? Well, that's why we're starting with Proverbs, because the ancient path has a very critical and clear beginning. Proverbs literally gets us started. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, uh, the fear of the Lord is used about 14 times in Proverbs. And it's woven through uh, all of the wisdom literature. So you'll find it in Job 28, 28. You'll also find it in Ecclesiastes. Sort of concludes the book. Which is why Derek Kidner uh, writes this. In one form or another, this truth, that is the fear of the Lord meets us in all the wisdom books, and it is this that keeps, notice these three things, the shrewdness of Proverbs from slipping into mere self-interest. The perplexity of Job from mutiny, and the disillusion of Ecclesiastes from despair. The kind of wisdom we're talking about protects from self-interest, mutiny, and despair, which is what these three books are helping us with. That means, whatever the beginning is, it's not something that you leave behind. Uh, you don't graduate from it. You need it all the way. In fact, the book of Ecclesiastes, the last book we're looking at, concludes. The very last thing it says is the conclusion of all matters is fear God. So it's the beginning and the end. And the middle. It's the controlling principle. It's more than a right method of thought. It's a right relationship. That's what the fear of the Lord means which is why you have in 2.5, two if we look at it, then you will understand the fear of the, of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. That's not intellectual knowledge. That's relationship. You will know him. You'll relate to him. Uh, you'll be intimate with him. Uh, so it's less about information and more about relationship. 
So behind all reality then is a person. All the twists, all the gaps, you need a person to fill them in. So he's a God who is personal, he's loving, and he has initiated a relationship with us. That's why Yahweh, covenant relationship, relational God. So because it's a relationship, let's think about this. The meaning of the fear of the Lord has a multi-dimensional, uh, if you will, uh, it, dynamic. It's a compound expression. And it means more than one thing in Proverbs. So if you go through and you write out every single proverb, but with every single proverb that has the fear of the Lord, and there's over 14 times in Proverbs itself. You could literally draw a line uh, down Proverbs and have on one side, like 1-7 tells us, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. All right, so it's intimate. We know we're dealing with intimacy. Uh, and then 2-5, we'll talk about the intimacy, but notice here. So if you draw a line, if you were to draw a line in Proverbs, you would see like 1-7 says, it's, it's, a, it's knowledge. Pen is not great today. Knowledge, okay, wisdom. Okay, so it's a, it's a set of data. So to know God is to know wisdom. All right? Look at this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But notice, fools despise not the Lord, but wisdom. So the fear of the Lord is put for wisdom. So that means it's not, it's data, but it's also personal. This is important. Knowledge of God. To know God, the knowledge of God. So it's personal and data. It's pretty fascinating how this works, and you'll see why this is important. On the personal side, there's this, you're relating to God, you're interacting with God, you're worshiping God, loving God, because he cares for you and he loves you. So Deuteronomy chapter 10, which uses intermingles love and fear. Deuteronomy chapter 10 says, what does the Lord require of you but to fear God? Walk in his ways, love him, serve him with all your heart and soul, and keep his commandments. So relate to him and keep his commandments. There is a personal side, and there is a data side, a factual side, a moral side, if you will. So it sort of takes the psychological poles of love and fear and puts them together. And they actually can be used interchangeably. I can say that I fear the Lord means I love him. I can say that I love the Lord, it means I fear him. So I recognize that I'm in his world. I am in God's world. And he di dictates all reality. And Proverbs makes it clear that life and death are at stake. So if we do not fear God, if we do not love God, it's not just unfortunate, it's fatal. 
So on the one hand, I believe his promises. Okay, Deuteronomy 10, Deuteronomy 10 says, and they're good for you. In fact, he writes, Be, uh, which I am commanding you today for your good. So I love him because I know that he has best intentions for me. But I also believe his threats. I also know he's someone not to cross. And fear of the Lord contains that. It has a worship and an awe. But it also has a very real sense that to do life in a way that is not pleasing to him or the way that he has dictated life could kill me. And not just kill you physically. Proverbs talks about life and death in all categories of life. There could be parts of your life right now that are dying because you're not living the way God wants you to. Your financial world could be dying partly because you haven't wrapped your arms around that yet. Your marriage could be falling, dying because you're not humble and selfless. There's a lot of life that can be falling apart and dying. And people who fear God fear that. They fear doing life differently. You know, uh, no illustration, by the way, can capture this sort of idea of what the fear of the Lord is. Because I can say, the fear of the Lord, and you would say, yeah, God's ways. And I can also say the fear of the Lord, and you, can, and, and you would mean, oh, you mean a personal, loving intimate relationship with God. So you would mean both of those. Um, There's no way to adequately illustrate. Uh, I have not been able to come up with one. How both of those work together. But I'll give you a few that attempt to. Um, I think in the travels that I've been able to do with Hillside and Missions, the scariest place I've been is northern Iraq. At the time when ISIS was literally flourishing. I mean, dominating. And uh, Matt Nowry, Kirk Nowry's son, was our guide. He is the director for Samaritan's Purse in northern Iraq, ministering to all the refugees. And uh, I've known him. I, I held him as a baby. And he has become like an expert in dealing with Iraq. And so when we landed, it was incredibly intimidating because the airport itself is the most intimidating, probably the scariest place I've been. And then once you get through all of that, uh, then you get in a car with him and he drives you. And then you get what you get anytime you go somewhere new. You get directions about how to live here. And let me tell you, the group that was with the northern Iraq group, we listened more than the group that's in Honduras. We listened more than the group that was in India. We were listening. Okay, if Matt said, don't go there, we didn't. If he said, walk down that street, we did. If he said, don't say that, we didn't. When he said, be quiet, we were. All of us were sort of humble. There was a moment when we were 30 minutes from Mosul, just as, I mean, ISIS had already taken it over. We were listening. There was a kind of humble submission to someone you know that cares about you, but you know if you violate it, 
that's really bad for you. Okay, so that's one way. There is a way that I live with God where I really love him and I know that what he asks for me is good, but there's also a part of me that knows full well. He's not messing around. So don't be a little bit afraid to be afraid. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if this is a, a, a worthy illustration or not, but remember the, the woman in South Carolina there at the beginning of May that got eaten by that alligator? I don't know if you read the full story of this poor gal. But she was a manicurist and I guess went to the home of this lady, did her fingernails, and then stepped outside her backyard where there's a pond and noticed an alligator out there and approached the pond because she wanted pictures of that alligator. And according to the story, and I've read a number of them now, she actually went into the water a little to get pictures of it. It's unbelievable to read. Uh, so she, she steps out into this water to take pictures, and the gal at the, at the house says to her, uh, you know, that thing just attacked a deer here not very long ago. And this woman's response was, I don't look like a deer. Which on the one hand is intelligent. She at least knew that. <laughs> Pretty decent IQ. Her friends went to the water to get her, and as she was turning around, this alligator grabbed her by the leg. And the moment it grabbed her, you could hear her say, the people on the shore who were trying to help her, could hear her say literally this, I guess I won't do that again, came out of her mouth. And then she went under and was gone. They, they pulled her out of there, but she was dead. Um, I guess I won't do that again. Ever had one of those moments? I bet you have. That's kind of how you got to live with God. I ain't doing that. Um, C.S. Lewis in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, probably the most quoted line in it in this children's fantasy of his, is, you know, God's a lion. And so the beaver who's sort of guiding the children in this fantasy explained to them that he's a lion and then says to them, you know, he ask, they ask, well, is he safe? Because that's what you would ask of a lion. Is he safe? And they write, literally, the beaver says this to them. Of course not. But he's good. Now, you and I run past this pretty fast. Because we love the idea. Oh, but he's good. He's good. He's furry. He's furry. And he purrs. Have you spent any time thinking about that one? What do you think C.S. Lewis would have meant by that one? No, not even close. This is the dynamic we're operating with the fear of the Lord. Now, I'm going to explain to you why that matters. You know, I've lived a lot of my life understanding what the fear of the Lord was, but I didn't really understand why it mattered to wisdom. Bridges writes this about the fear of the Lord. It's the affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. Humbly and carefully to his father's law. Now, why is relationship key? Like, why couldn't the fear of the Lord just mean, here's the rules, stay in them? Why? 
Why wouldn't that work? Why doesn't it work in your everyday life? Here's the rules and that's it. I'm going to give you two reasons, and I'm only going to give you two today because of time. There's more, but I'm going to give you two. Number one is you can't assess yourself rightly to the laws and commands without someone to help you. You can't assess yourself properly. Without him, how do I even determine everything that's right? I mean, we're arguing in the world over what's right every day, and no one can agree. And you get what Alistair McIntyre said in After Virtue. You just get emotivism. Everyone's just emotional about their preferences. And nobody has any set standard that we're all supposed to attain. Uh, And what about the fact that you can't keep all the rules? What do you do about that? You can't even keep the rules you make for yourself. What about that? Proverbs 16.2 says, All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. Even if you do the right thing, how many times have you done it for the wrong reason? See, you can't build your life on virtue. Here's, here's Here's the reason why you need a relationship. Because virtue alone cannot save you. It cannot save you from yourself. The standard, whatever it is, will just crush you. It's not personal. It just crushes. The law crushes. I mean, how many times have you been right and still wrong? Married people know what I'm talking about. You're not married. Single people, you're all right. You're all right. Now let me just tell you something else that happens if you don't have a relationship with God when it comes to the the rule keeping. Okay, You'll get trapped in moralism. I'll tell you, I meet a lot of people, and you can see it in our era right now. It's really spinning around in Christians especially. They worship morality. They worship virtue more than they do the God of virtue. And so they misapply virtue all the time, running around with their standards, don't do this, don't do that, and and announcing their convictions. And you become pharisaical. You'll start making up rules to make yourself look better. You'll become cynical. You'll become arrogant and bitter like they were. That's what happens when you worship moralism and morality. You get self-righteous. You worry about how you are seen by people. And you'll sometimes keep rules just so you don't look bad. And you just miss the whole point. Listen, Paul says, it's the love of God that constrains me, not right and wrong. If right and wrong is why you like God, That's a bad reason. It's my relationship with him that matters. The second reason why a relationship's important is because I won't set aside myself without him. You know, to be able to live wisely requires that you sacrifice a lot. 
You can't live wisely and not sacrifice. You're going to lose a lot to be wise. And the ultimate healing, transforming power is God's love for me. It transforms me. It makes me do what I would never do if he wasn't in my life. I would never do them if he wasn't in my life. And a wise person who's centered in God's love has the confidence in how God sees them to act on behalf of others rather than himself, even if it appears smart to him to do it. A lot of the things we call wise, we do to look good, not to care for people. So living wisely means I'm not dependent on anything. I don't use wisdom and morality to prop up my life. I mean, when you die, do you want to be known as the, the black and white guy? Who, who just walks such a narrow path, trying to be good all the time, in a way that just puffed him up. You see, I can't set aside my needs, desires, and rights because my security and significance uh, aren't rooted in God. They're more rooted in how you see me, your approval, and your opinion of me. And only a person can make it possible for me to provide for me what I need to not count on a standard to save me. Because it can't save you. Now, I had a list of Proverbs I wanted to go through, about 10 of them, that have transformed my life since high school, that have meant the most to me. I was going to go through them, but I don't have the time to do that, so I've chosen one window into what I just shared with you. One relevant, I think, for today. Whoever blesses, and you'll wonder, is that the right one for today? Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as a cursing. Uh, you know, morning people have always been a problem. I don't know if, you've know, if you know that. Morning people have always been a problem. Uh, this is a guy who says the right thing, right, in the wrong way and at the wrong time. That's what this guy is about. Now you let that principle sink, sink into your life. Okay, this is about sensitivity. Now, follow me. The, the practice of greeting people was a very important one in that day. So... He's good on that. We can check mark him there. We can check mark him on his intentions in good. It's a blessing. Uh, we can check mark it well within his rights to offer the blessing. There's no law that says you can't bless. He may have naturally a loud voice and can't help it. Got anybody like that in your life? Better believe you do. He has all kinds of reasons why he did what he did, and they're all valid. But what he thought would be a blessing ends up being a curse anyway. Wow. 
I had good intentions. This is a very acceptable practice. I'm well within my rights. And this is just who I am. That's the logic all of us are using to say everything we say. And, it, and, and yet it ends up working against us. It ends up being harmful. Wow. This is, this is a guy who's not intending to hurt anyone. It's not his intention to hurt. And it's certainly someone he probably cares about. Imagine if the tables are turned and we're talking about somebody who really doesn't like you or you don't like and you don't really care about them. How much less sensitivity would you have in what you say? In our day, social media especially, but really any category, this really applies. I think every time you give a kid or a person a phone or a computer, you ought to make them memorize about 10 verses on how to speak in Proverbs. That'd be a great, that'd be a great tool. Because people take an enormous amount of pride in the fact that they say what they feel that they hold nothing back, that they pull no punches, that they say it like it is. It's the truth, so I said it. Do you know that in Proverbs, that is the quality of a fool? In fact, you're worse than a fool. Do you see a man who's hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than him. We live in a culture of people who do not weigh their words. Believers should not be in that category. So, real quickly, I just want to show you uh, three more about this topic, and uh, we'll close. The, look at Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 16. Uh, the vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. So these all sort of fit in the category of what I'm describing for you here today. Um, the vexation of a fool, in other words, his, his anger and his disappointment and his pain. This is a proverb that says, do you know how to hide your pain when you've been insulted? Or do you immediately go railing off? Wise people don't always show when they've been insulted. That's not the world we live in today. Not a lot of wisdom in this category going on in the world. Let alone our personal lives. So a wise person knows how to hide the pain when he's taken a shot from someone. Because he knows that he'll just add to the pain or stir up more. And that it'll actually just reveal his own pride and insecurity. He might even, if he's really smart, take some time to think to himself, I wonder why that person said that. I wonder if I look behind that, I might get a feel for this person that I don't understand. And haven't you read this? Most people who are your enemy are people you just haven't heard their story yet. That's a great little thing to keep in mind. 
I've been insulted a number of times over the last month. And every time you just have to take a deep breath and say, probably don't need to respond to that. Because if I do, I'm just, usually you're just, you're just trying to save your ego. And wise people have a God who loves them so much that they don't have an ego that they've got to protect. Do you see why you need God in your life? Uh, I'll tell you another thing you hide, not just your pain. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. Here's, an, here's something that a wise guy hides. His, his knowledge. I mean, he knows every, more than what the fool knows, but he doesn't say it. He knows when to keep the truth that's just got to get out there to himself. This is phenomenal principle. You know when to keep something inside, even if it's right. You might have to wait for the right time, or you might have to do it in the right way, or you might not ever say it. Wow. You know, before you post something or like something or repost something, ask yourself, am I too proud of this opinion? I think this opinion may mean more to me than God does. I think this little tidbit of wisdom I've got needs to get out there no matter who it hurts. How will this thing land? Is your self-esteem caught up in what you know so much that you're willing to not ask all of the hard questions about whether the truth you're so confident about ought to get out there? Christians do that. I mean, even as simple as, you have some friends who've lost their jobs? Don't post your vacation pictures. Nutball. I'm just saying sensitivity is better. It's better. You will sense I'm a little on a high horse. I've been dying to say this for five months. Um, so I want to get to my close here because this is, this is just really important. Uh, Proverbs says, whoever restrains knowledge, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool keeps silent. When, it, when a fool keeps silent, he's, he, he's wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. I read this great quote some time ago about, it said this, of a learned and distinguished but very cautious general, it was said that he could be silent in ten languages. (laughs) You know what the principle here is? Shutty, shut, shut. (laughs) 
takes sacrifice. Listen, sacrifice and sensitivity. You have those operating in your life? Because to hold something back that would make you look good if you said it takes incredible humility. Let me close by saying this. I told you that it doesn't take a very high IQ. Uh, The only person smart enough or the only person not smart enough to fear God and his ways is the guy that thinks he has all the answers. And he will listen to no one. He's the worst guy in Proverbs. He's the biggest fool. His life can literally be crumbling around him, but he still is hell-bent to keep his opinion and views. He just can't bring himself to say, I don't know. I may be wrong. Too much humility. But it'll save you, literally. And until you admit, we all had to admit coming to Christ that we were fools. We thought we could figure life out on our own. Uh, My favorite movie, I'll close with this thought. My favorite movie, Christmas movie, is The Scrooge. I can watch it in any any way, format, old, doesn't matter. Do you remember it? I mean, he was an angry, arrogant, mean, self-righteous, stingy, bitter guy. But the end of it, which is so great, you can't wait for the end, for this transformation to happen in his heart. And uh, do you remember the little dance that he does and what he says at the end? Just watch it. I have one for you. My my old favorite version. I never did know anything. (laughs) But now I know that I don't know anything. (laughs) I don't know anything. I never did know anything. But now I know that I don't know. All on the Christmas morning. I must stand in the head. Now I know that I don't know is one of the joyful moments of a person's life. That's what happens when you come to Christ. You know you don't know. And it makes you happy, not sad. Because you're going to trust him and you're going to follow his wisdom. You know, you look like a fool doing that. And many people don't want to look like a fool. But uh, Christ became a fool. He was willing to look like a fool in the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He was willing to look like a fool. In order to save. And Paul said, through the foolishness of preaching. God redeems. Father, help us to admit we don't know, that we can't do life without you, that virtue alone will not save us. We need a God who loves us enough to help us live sacrificially and with sensitivity in this world. We cannot do it without you. Save us, Lord, from our wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. When the tempter would fail, he 